weird <sighs> and i really want facebook to incorporate uh i don't i don't need to see this post anymore this specific post <laughs> you know because there's something that's happened to facebook recently that that made it worse dude well i crazy. guess you could say that any week but yeah. right because it's like i'll see a post from a page sure. and i'll be like eh, eh, i don't care i have no comment i'm just okay i saw the post and I scroll past and blah, blah, blah. And then a few hours or maybe a day later, I go back to Facebook and like number three or four in the feed is that post again. And I scroll past and blah, blah, blah. And what's funny is the page will get new posts, but it's, it's almost like if I ignore a post, it keeps throwing it back at me, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I'm just getting tired of it because it's just like I don't. And so I go to the options and all the options are everything under the sun, except I don't want to see this particular post. I've, I've seen it and I don't need to see it anymore. It's like, do you want to block this guy? Do you want to block this page? Do you want to snooze this? Do you want to see less of this type of post? It's like, I just I just need. I've seen this. I don't need to see it anymore. <laughs> and I, of all the things they offer, they don't offer that. Yeah. Instead, what they've done is disabled the back button on your phone, so you have to go to the you have to go to the back button on the. It's it's like, why is that more convenient? It's not. It's less convenient. You know. I mean, it'll, you know, people get used to it, but it was like. First that, couple that's times, it right there. Yeah. First couple times I hit the back button, I was just like, why, why isn't this thing going that's back? Funny. And then I noticed the back button. And up. why? Why even bother with that? Now, yeah. I, I don't use the Facebook. You use the Facebook app? Yeah. I don't. I use the browser. Ah. So my back button still works. When yeah. everybody started bitching about that, I was just like, what's wrong? What are they? There's not one of the Yeah, Facebook um, just made another change that doesn't. It doesn't improve it, yeah, and it just makes it more and what's, inconvenient. And they don't do one of those, you know, when you get an update on an app on your computer, when you've shut off your computer and turn it on again, and, oh, look, all this shit updated, like Steam or Discord. It's annoying, but I'll give them this much. They tell you what they updated and fixed, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Sure. They tell you all the changes. It's like somebody... <clears throat> needs to uh, incorporate that thing. Yep. I don't know. They probably do too many changes to bother. <laughs> yeah, but the, well, I can't even figure out why they made this particular change. Yeah, I can't let's, let's put a pin on this. Oh. Come right back to it. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 712. I am Master Torgo. Commander K. With... Professor Biggs. And we're here to talk weak and geek. Lean and mean today, gentlemen. That's lean and right. Mean. That's right. And speaking of lean and mean, let's bitch more about social media. You were saying, Steve? <laughs> yeah, I just can't figure out why they decided to make this change. I don't see that it helps. And it all it did was piss people off. I mean, you know, I mean, that's kind of de rigueur for Facebook. Right, but, right. But it's like, just, why would you, why make this change? Just rub in the face that, uh, yeah, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I know. For all the people that are like, oh, I'm moving over to this. I'm moving over. It's like, no one's leaving Facebook. Yeah. Well, all, all the old people are still there, and yeah. and it still brings it. it. It's still, 
does best what Facebook was originally designed designed to do, which basically was show cat cat photos and that. But you know, the reason I am still on it mostly is because if you're involved in the arts, it is still a great way to promote your shows or promote your mm-hmm. you know promote well, your gigs. I'm still there because of communication with friends, which yeah. I can't fathom TikTok and Instagram. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I do Instagram," and it's like. You keep up with your friends through Instagram? I'm okay. Yeah. I don't know. I guess your friends who take lots of pictures? Yeah. I, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. And Twitter. Right. Yeah. I, I will say, though, uh, Threads is finally becoming what I wanted Twitter to be. Mm. Uh now, when I deal with social media, I rarely update my life on anything. I am not there to tell you about my life. I'm there to read about yours. That's <laughs> that's my whole existence with social media. There you go. And what I loved, ED loved, about Twitter was that it had a heavy news presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and of course, Elon fucked all that up. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I left Twitter ages ago, and Threads was kind of the closest thing to it. Now Threads is starting to get that news presence that Twitter had. It seems to be finally, gra- that's where the news has decided to gravitate toward. Okay. So, yeah, because so, TwitX is... Oh, geez, God. God, no. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I have been talking about giving it up and just, you know, unlo- and, but I'm going to because nobody I know uses it anymore. Uh, so, it's, it, so it's not there to promote anything. And, you know, people are, yeah, they're promoting things on TikTok and Instagram and, you know, other things. But nobody's using right. TwitX anymore. Yeah. So, so th- Threads, is, to me, seems like Twitter with less toxicity for now. For now, uh, but uh, yeah. you know, no guarantees in the future. But yep. for right now, I'm liking what it is, and a lot of the people that I followed on Twitter seems to have migrated there. Yes, so I'm happy. Yeah, is that the one that uh, Takay moved over to quick, very rapidly? Yes, yeah, mm. that's what I thought. Mm. Yeah, because I only I only signed up for Twitter to begin with because of theater of note and they're like oh yeah twit stuff about our shows on the on uh, on twitter and i was like okay are, are you sure and they're like yeah 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 twitter's like the big thing it's oh it's eclipsed facebook and i was like really okay and then the shenanigans of the last sure. you know, couple of years and then and then again who thought x was a better name for the service <laughs> than than twitter uh somebody who really doesn't who is accused of being a genius, but I'm yet to see evidence. No, yeah. the guy is dumb as a doornail. I I used to think that yeah he was uh, he was uh, pretty amaze balls, and it's like wow he's nope he's just really taking is, credit for other people's work. There's really nothing underneath the hood. Yep, it's just crazy. Although frankly, I think he's I think he's just trying to destroy Twitter. Yeah, well, I think it, they were like, well, oh, you forced me to spend this 40 billion. Fine. Good job. Because <laughs> yeah. it was really funny. He tried to back out and they wouldn't let him. And he's like, OK, fine. I'll take it. Success. S rank. Yeah, really. So, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? Uh, Steve, let's start with you, Steve. All right. Good. Um, <laughs> oh, he even wanted the, yeah. right there. <laughs> well, also, he covers a lot of mine, so it gets me out of the way. Um. So I wasn't quite done with Halloween yet, and ah. and it came up, and we we I think because we talked about Clancy Brown last week, 
and I know we talked about him when we talked about the, you know, the the death of Superman and the and the return of Superman or the reign of the Superman. Because Rain Wilson did Lex Luthor and was like, oh, I'm really missing Clancy Brown. I am evil and smart and gonna take over the universe. <laughs> do it so fabulously. So one of the the I think the one two maybe one two three shot for me with Clancy Brown was Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, Highlander and The Bride uh, which um, in which he played the creature uh, Frankenstein's Frankenstein's monster Um, so for those of you who don't know The Bride came out in the mid 80s and it stars Sting as not Victor Frankenstein Charles Frankenstein It's still, he's still the Frankenstein that creates the creature, but for whatever reason, they decided to name him Charles, and they gave the creature the name Victor. So, so if they made it, remade it now, it'd be like Chad Frankenstein? Yeah, Chad, or Chuck, Chuck Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then, uh, and played by Sting, and, uh, and then the bride is Jennifer Beals, hot off a of flash dance, and... Um, Wow. So there are two parallel stories going on. Uh, obviously, Jennifer Beals, easy on the eyes. Uh, so so Charles, so Chuck says, uh, says, you know what? <laughs> I know we made it for you. Or no, it stings. So, and in this particular movie. So I know we made it for you, but you're a creature. You need to leave. You need to get out. She's mine. So basically, he keeps, he keeps the bride for himself. And... Well, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and then there's a there's a big explosion and a fire, and Timothy Spall gets you know burned up, and so does Timothy Spall. Yeah. Okay. Character actor playing basically the Fritz part. All right. Okay. And uh, appreciate that. And then, yeah, yeah. And then Quentin Crisp. <laughs> it should have been Quentin Crisp in that role. <laughs> I know, really. <clears throat> uh, Quentin Crisp, who was, again, kind of a big uh, talk show um, uh, uh, Rick Hunter. The, the John Davison of his time? Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of back in the... <laughs> but, you know, Quint, he's playing basically the Dr. Polidori part. Um, ah, yes, the Dr. Polidori part of Frankenstein. <laughs> no, the bride, I remember it well. The Bride of Frankenstein. They do riffs... <laughs> On the Bride of Frankenstein, he's the you know the the Doctor Pretorius, I guess is what his name was in the Bride of Frankenstein. Anyway, so there are two parallel stories. There's Chuck and the Bride, okay, and then there's Victor who uh, protects a little person from a bunch of kids. And that little person played by Rappaport. His last name is Rappaport. Michael. David. David Rappaport. David. David. Can't remember. Greg. Anyway, he was in uh, Time Bandits. Oh, yes. Among yeah. other things. Um, that story is really interesting. Oh. Because it turns out the creature's kind of a nice guy. He's slow, but he's 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 like a gentle soul that, that you know, people mistreat, especially Chuck, especially Charles. Um, but once he gets out into the world and he's got um, Ronaldo helping him out, Ronaldo goes, oh, you know what? You'd be great in the circus. And so they go and they track down a circus because Ronaldo's got his own act that he, that he plays. And so he, so they work at the circus because, of course, Victor can really drive those tent stakes. <laughs> 
Like, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, one shot and boom, the tent. And, and he wants to ride a horse. I, I want to ride horses, and I have to this one. It's basically they're basically doing of mice and men. It sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but I mean, even when things go horribly wrong at the circus, the creature does not. Victor does not retaliate. Which Kay was like, "Oh, I I see a circus burning coming up soon." Mm. It's like no, he knocks over. He, you know, when he figures out that they. And he figures it out. Yeah. He He's hears them dumb. talking and he figures it out. He knows instantly. Yeah. It's, it's not like he he needs it spelled out for him. Yeah. And so he just knocks over their trailer, but he doesn't really. I, wait, does he? No, no. Yeah. One guy buys it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but that's it. And so, yeah, as long as nobody's attacking him, he just is like, oh, okay. <laughs> and in fact. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. It worked overtime to make him sympathetic in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Because Charles is the Charles is the, Frankenstein is the monster. <laughs> dun dun dun. You know, it's one of those classic things where Frankenstein is the monster. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Um, How, how's the speaking of monster? How's the performance from Sting? Oh, so <laughs> like I say, Biggs half, loved it. Half the movie's interesting. The half with <laughs> the half with the creature and Ronaldo. That's interesting. Neither Sting nor, at this stage in her career, Jennifer Beals, they are not actors. And it's, I mean, it's all about mood and all about all about playing generalities as opposed to playing specific Which is really kind of interesting, too, because, uh, granted, Flashdance wasn't deep, but it actually, uh, she was actually, I thought that she was, she was, she worked in that. Mm-hmm. It was like I I sense period piece intimidation or something. It, it just totally uh, felt out of her environment. That or yeah, who knows? Yeah, or intimidated by Sting or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Who isn't? Yeah, but uh, yeah, she'll kill him. Yeah. But, oh, excuse me. She is. <laughs> <laughs> this this she, this story is bringing up all sorts of things for Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's just flat in this movie, and and basically so is Sting. Sting's is, oh, I'm supposed to be an actor in this, so I'll be talking like this a lot and having very uh, <clears throat> smoky looks through <laughs> atmospheric lighting. He's very good at frown forehead. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, that's his deal. <coughs> that and... It sounds like, Steve, you could use something to drink. I love that transition. <laughs> Before me, listeners, are three ball glass jars full of obviously some sort of carbonated liquid presented by Commander K himself uh, do describe what's happening in this what's going on in my mouth yes actually uh, why not what do, do you want to hear this do you want to he, you want to hear it first oh it's up, it? you know what this is your ball uh, how should we approach this taste it first so so let me say this is a obviously a clear soda it looks like a sprite yes right so okay this hardly has any taste at all you might uh, probably the the ice melting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that's a big part of it. Uh, the bottom's very bubbly. Mm-hmm. You gotta take a couple sips. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not turned off by whatever this is. Mm-mm. I have loved for many many years uh, the seasonal tradition of cranberry flavored diet sprite. 
Sure. And it was seasonal. And then, I don't know, a decade ago, a little more than that, uh, it stopped being carried. And uh, I would ask, I would look around for it, and it seemed to me that it was canceled. It was just stopped. I, a- I actually ran, millennials. ran into uh, some uh, Coke dudes, Coca-Cola, at Smith's, and I asked them about it, and they're like, oh, you got to move fast, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how fast do you move? It's never at my Smith's. Well, it turns out that my Smith's, you know, Stephen My Smith's is a low rent. Uh, you know, there is a big difference between Smiths in this city. Yeah, and and we we got the low rent. You get what you get. You know, can be be lucky <laughs> after they after they've packed in the uh, anthem Smith. Yeah, and then uh, the Smiths get. out by where Barry and Deb and Major Men in Cadence. Ah, uh, the my. The nice part of town Yeah, that's, uh, that's apparently the rich folk Smiths, because they got it all. You got a bar in there. Yeah. That's right. I, we went there, and I was like, there's a bar in the Smiths? <laughs> yeah, there's a bar. Yeah. It, there's actually it, like a little mini Target where a small section that s- sells shirts and socks and slippers, and it looks like a little slice of Target <laughs> put right in the middle of the Smiths. But what killed me was the bar's not even... Not even close to where the the bank of slot machines are. Yeah. yeah. It is there for the people that are there to shop and don't want to. Yeah. And it's really funny. Like how much is this? Oh, you I'm go there. Drinking early tonight. On certain afternoons, like uh, it is crowded and noisy. It's amazing. At the bar? The bar. Oh, God. Yeah. It's a local watering you'll, hole. You'll be walking through the delicatessen area and you're like, where's the riot? <laughs> and it's oh it's it's just beyond the the bread it's at the bar party at smith's yeah so apparently rich folk smith's gets the cranberry flavored diet sprite this is winter spiced cranberry diet sprite it's very very lovely yeah i like it because it's just it's it's a light taste and it's really funny i remember <laughs> Remember when the FDA said you got to put your sugar content on your cans of cranberry sauce? And the Cranberry Growers Association was like, well, they didn't say this, but the gist of it was, God, no, we can't do that because cranberries taste like shit. (laughs) But it's true. The whole thing about cranberry sauce is the contrast of the bitter of cranberries and the sugar that you put in. You know, just like sweet and sour, all that. It's the bitter and sweet. And the nice thing about Sprite is it's already got the sweet and just that hint of cranberry. Actually, I really like the taste. So I, for many, many Christmases and holiday seasons, was just like, oh, boy, here it comes. And then one day it just stopped. It just stopped. But it didn't stop. It It just just went to... (laughs) Yeah. Went away from the poor section. Yeah. Well, and this is called winter (laughs) spiced cranberry. So it is... Oh, a little different. A little different. So I don't know if this is the first year it returned or what, or if it's been around and, you know, but it, it's still not at the common folk Smith's. Yeah. It's tasty. Yeah. So, so I. It's refreshing. I, I dig and, it. And of course it's a 12 pack. And of course right now the 12 packs are not on sale. So I had to drop a bit of money to get a couple 12 packs, but I've got my cranberry spiced 
Sprite for the holidays. And all was right with the world. Now, this other... That looks like a Hershey's Kiss. It is a Hershey's Kiss. But what Hershey's Kiss is it? <laughs> well, what, one thing I, I just want to note right now, Kay, is... My, my what's going in your mouth is more pleasant. Than- much, much more than what Barry <laughs> brings to the table. Much more than about anybody brings to the table, including yeah. myself. Wait, are you going to try to tell me this is going to be this is going to be much better than the um, than the uh, baked uh, okra, <laughs> <laughs> baked okra fish jerky? Oh God, yeah. kill me now! This, go ahead and taste this one. Okay, we'll st- stop here and. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cherry cordial. Yep, one mm. of my Queen Anne cherry cordial kind of favorite thing. things I discovered. This was shortly after Trek closed they did for a while seasonally cherry cordial m&ms and dude those were good because it was just like what we just had it was it was the plain m&m with a little bit of that cherry cordial in it very tasty once again they eventually stopped for a couple years i could buy cherry cordial m&ms but eventually it just stopped and i could not find them and i would search for them on the internet and I still do. And I, I'm i finding these dubious, I think it's a case that was in a storeroom for 20 years. <laughs> that's thing. all that's going to be left, man. Yeah, because it, I, I don't think they do it anymore. So I, at the same rich folk Smiths over there in Barry and Debland. It's worth the extra miles, folks. Yes. Uh, they had packages of cherry cordial kisses. So I went and picked up a couple because once again, it's Christmas, folks. Uh, Kay, you're you're ringing in the season beautifully. I, I. These were too yummy. What's going on in my mouth? <laughs> yeah, this is this is what happens when when Barry isn't here. This <laughs> the joy returns to the show. The celebration of the seasons begins, mm-hmm. and, I, and life feels good, guys. I um, my dad and I work to to rediscover some Christmas because things were bad with my mom towards the end and the holidays became real it became um, it it was it was terrible the holidays could be a real burden a real load and just emotionally fraught I told my dad and my dad eventually admitted to me that you know towards the end there we can we came to dread the holiday season because it was going to be a bad time and after she passed, my dad and I tried to recover some of that. Because one of the funny things was, and I think it's actually part of it is because of, my mom loved the holiday season. <clears throat> but as things became a problem for her, her love of the holiday season turned into this, it must be perfect. It was never perfect. And therefore, there were emotional consequences. So, you know, my dad... He had, um, let's see, seven, eight, nine. He had three Christmases after my mom passed, and it was working to try to, to try to remember the times when she enjoyed Christmas, and it wasn't, it wasn't a an emotional uh, <clears throat> storm. And so when my dad passed, then I had to go through a process of like trying to recover that and now i actually do enjoy 
I really look forward to the holidays. I really look forward to it. And this time around, the job is going well. Cross my fingers. Things are moving smoothly. So I actually am not going into the holiday strapped for cash, not not knowing what the hell's going to happen, you know, for rent and stuff. And I'm actually looking forward to things. So <clears throat> it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of a fun time. The only thing is the house is still a disaster. I <laughs> it is still just chock full of boxes, and I've got to. Uh, I've got to figure a way around these damn boxes. Yeah, but they're whittled down. Yeah, I'm 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 working on it, but oh boy, oh boy, what a what a catastrophe, folks. At some point once once it's all over, I'll put up the pictures on the the lair. You know, the before and afters. <laughs> uh so people can see it, but it oof. It's just crazy. And I'm also thankful to uh Steve for his patience with all the mess. Oh. And I, I would say to Duncan, but you know, he's in the cave. He doesn't see it. So. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, the season is fun. It's really fun. And I, like I said, with Steve here, I've watched more horror in the past yeah. month. We only got the one thing. On my- yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, look, yeah. you know, we'll do this a little different. We'll kind of round table. And we'll come back to me, then we'll go back to you, Steve. Well, there Unless, you go. I like this. Yeah, yeah. A little, little smaller group can do this kind of thing. Uh, and, and I'll talk about Hostage Negotiator talking about the season. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been trying to delve more into single-player games because that's what my life allows me to do for board games these days. And there is a single-player game out there called Hostage Negotiator. And it is literally designed for that. That There is no multiplayer to this whatsoever. You buy this to play this alone. That is your choice. Wow. Uh, there's another game out, out uh, by the same company uh, that kind of takes that same idea and expands upon it with a different theme. That, so, that uh, game's called Final Girl. Don't have that yet. But yes, it is literally the 80s slasher. And you are trying to escape the uh, the slasher. Again, a single player game. Uh, but it's based on this engine. And Hostage Negotiator is a quick and easy game. Lasts 15 to minutes to 30 minutes. And it is a card based and dice based game where you choose your uh, antagonist. And the game comes with three. And each one has its own set of demands that they want. And you it is part a dice game and part a deck builder. Whereas you have start with a hand of zero level cards, and each one of these things is a movement in negotiation. That you are we are brought in to whatever this like the one the one I played today was a terrorist that uh, was a uh, had all had a failure in their attempt at another terror thing and lost most of their people involved in that and so has now taken a bunch of hostages in order to escape from what he has done. And you are the professional negotiator brought in and each card you have is a very is a tactic of negotiation. Wow. Uh, you're, and the object of the game is to free more hostages than get killed. <laughs> and there and it's <laughs> A supr- <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of gross in that regard, but that is that is it. If if you free more hostages than are killed, you have won. Yeah, kinda. Well, uh, I've got I've got a difficulty level for you. Yeah. Next time you play, yeah, 
I want you to imagine Barry's one of the hostages. Come on, man. Yeah. Don't do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> now, now is a quandary. <laughs> so so the, the hostages are, are little wooden meep, yellow meeples. So I, I just have know. to put the dot on the one that's Barry. Yeah. Yeah. So I there always you know go. not to pull that one until oh, last. Oh, dude. I, no. Okay. Okay. For that next game, sure. But eventually... Eventually, <laughs> we just have to do the whole crew. Yeah. God damn it. Okay. Yeah, it gets a little <laughs> more. Busload of Barrys have been taken prisoner. Todd, go rescue. And it is a very difficult game. The it's uh, depending on how intense, uh, how negative the emotion of the. Uh, antagonist is you end up rolling less dice to try to make things things only go well on a six-headed dice on two of those sides oh and then you can spend cards to make one of those sides a little better more towards you so you are already at 40 percent oh yeah every time you roll and and then it's and it's the whole time thing you're you're adjusting the attitude of the antagonist and you're also creating something to uh, a the points to buy cards so it's trying to increase your hand at the same time you're on a ticking clock yeah uh, with uh, your antagonist <laughs> now what's crazy about this game is this is just the base game I bought I found it at uh, night and day games uh, for those local Vegas people that's gaming goat gaming goat is gone uh, officially, Yay. everybody, and if uh, we, we've brought it up a few times on the show in the past, uh, Gaming Goat was run by an absolute asshole, and he has sold the company to some fantastic people. Uh, Gaming Goat has such a toxic reputation that they changed the name, so now it's called Night and Day Games, as in K N I G H T Night. And well, also, maybe Night and Day is in. Night was the that guy, and day is now. The difference between Gaming Goat and us is night and day. Actually, when they sold it on their Facebook page, that is kind of how they sold it. <laughs> uh, but it was in their clearance section. I've been looking for this game for a while. It's 15 bucks in their clearance section, and they have a bunch of them. So if you're local, you want one, pick one up. Nice. Uh, what's crazy about this game is, and what they really ran with with Final Girl is that it's highly expandable. You have the base game, and you only need that, but they let released uh, antagonist packs, where just a little pack of cards, kind of like what they did with the, uh, uh, the Call of Cthulhu uh, card game, uh, Arkham, yeah. Arkham Horror card game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you could have more, and that adds more cards and potential cards for the, their demands and their terror, uh, because the whole idea is the first thing, you play your cards as many as you want, all right. And once you're done with that, then you spend the money to buy more cards. But the cards that you used, you can't use in the next turn. The zero cards, you can bring them back uh, on that next turn, but you cannot use them the next. So you will spend all your cards. Then like the next turn, you're like, I can only do the one thing I spent my card on in this next turn. <laughs> and then the terror card opens up and that adjusts. Now their turn, the bad thing happens and things get much worse. Mm. And it's uh, it's fighting that clock, so you can add antagonists to increase all that. Uh, there is a crime wave expansion that is actually a standalone expansion, which is a larger box that fits all the other stuff in it, as these card games tend to do. <laughs> Steve knows that well. Yes. And then they also released something I haven't gotten it yet, but they also created a basically campaign slash legacy expansion. 
which apparently is the way to play the game. But it says right on the back of that expansion, if you want to play this expansion, you have to have the original game, you have to have the Crime Wave game, you have to have at least these antagonists uh, packs. And if you have those already, then buy this. And what that does is it creates a series of ongoing things. Instead of each game being a one-off, what happens in that kind of saves your game state onto the next one, and you basically run this life of this hostage negotiator uh, for your whole career. So it almost becomes like campaign mode. Yes, exactly that. So I didn't want to buy all that up front, right? I wanted to make sure I liked the game. Uh, But I do. It's a really interesting game. Surprisingly tense, for what is it right there on the pile? You start to feel that tension, especially when you turn that card over and that first hostage is killed because of something you fucked up. Wow. Okay. You know what? I'm just registering now. You got this at Night and Day Games. Yes. This is a board game. A board game board game. Yes. This is not a Steam board yes, game. Yes, exactly. This is a solo player board game. That's exactly it. Okay, I did. did were you no. on this, Steve? At first, I thought he was talking about like a Steam game, but yeah, yeah, no. because I'm I'm used to pl- you playing board games on Steam, and I figure sure. Steam can do that because uh, I I'm kind of interested in that in solar player games, and this is one of the higher rated ones out there. So I'm like, well, I got to give that a shot, mm-hmm. and if, at that cheap price, I got to definitely try it. And I can say that yes, if you're into solo board slash card games. This is a good one. Get it. Wow. Wow. That actually sounds intense. I want to buy it just so I can create the the Barry antagonist pack (laughs) so he becomes your nemesis. In, in campaign mode as uh, he keeps coming back and taking more hostages and you're like, oh, shit. Somehow in headcanon, I think I can make that work. <laughs> Steve, what else you do this week? Um, wow. I had a list, but you playing this game just uh, reminded me. Um, Major Matt gave me pointers about playing Civ Five. Oh, did you now? Yes. And the one that I had, the Civ that I had never played before was Poland. Yeah, Polska. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, you got to try Poland." And I was like, "Really?" And and he's and then we've talked about, well, you know, what level are you playing Civ Five? And I was like, "Oh, I'm still on easy." And they go, "Well, bump it up, <laughs> you know, bump it up." So I so I like for the past week, week and a half, I've been playing Civ Five with Poland. Poland kicks fucking ass damn straight it, you watch yourself folks i mean i mean i i don't know that this is a, a a thing that i've ever noticed before but you start out with in civ 5 depending on the civilization you're playing you start out with a different speed for each one like which i had never it's not obvious in any of the things that they tell you about the civilizations but I noticed it this week when I bumped it up to normal from easy that um, Rome is worthless. Oh, to, really? To start with. they Poland starts with, if you land in a place with decent resources that and you build your worker first, it will start at either 10 turns or sometimes, depending on the resources available to you, eight turns, you get a worker. Like, just out of free? No, no, no. You have to 
as uh, that's your first production. Oh, okay. One of the one of the the uh, tips I got from watching a video about it was start with a worker first, because I'd been starting with Monument just to get the gold going. And they're like, no, nah, start with a start with a worker first. And um, when I bumped it up to uh, normal, I started playing. Well, I haven't played Rome in a while. And then the other tip that that Major Mag gave me was was save your first round. Because because what you can do then is if you go around and you find like all the you know all the natural wonders, but other people get there first, then you just restart your game and you send somebody right there and you start a. That's some cheating shit. A little, that a little some, bit of scum saving there. Yeah, that is some scum saving. Um, <laughs> That's not a tip. So the first thing that I noticed was, why is this worker taking twelve turns to get going here? I'm going to restart this game and see if I land on different resources. Oh, look at all this grass. Look at all this bubble. I'll start here. Ten turns to build a worker? Well, that's not too bad. But then it was like, you know, once you get archery, that's when you can start building like the Temple of Artemis, which is like the first wonder you can kind of build, which really, again, bumps up all your stuff. 31 turns to build the Temple of Artemis. Poland did it in 12. <laughs> We're hard workers. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, okay. So I It's all that I, it's all that leisure in Rome, man. So I started and restarted Rome like four different times and I just went, "Fuck Rome. God, they are worthless." <laughs> when I I want you to write the book of history, Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Based so, on your experience of Civ Five, history according to Civ Five. Yeah, fuck Rome. So the other Civ that Major Mel likes to use is Spain, and I had totally forgotten. I played Spain a long time ago, and I had totally forgotten that Spain's big deal is every time they discover like a natural wonder, five hundred gold, like just ends up. Yeah. So if you're lucky, like I was. When I when I played this, if you end up with a natural wonder in your backyard, boom, five hundred. Now you can now you can buy a, a caravan. Now you can buy something, anything. Which again, if you if you're playing a sieve that doesn't get that kind of cash bonus right away, it takes you probably you know twenty turns before you have enough cash built up to be able to buy like an archer or something. <laughs> I love that since Major Meh has left the Warhammer 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 conversations have become Sid 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 yeah because I'm sitting here not understanding a goddamn thing <laughs> well you need to play it because they had a bundle for 15 bucks so on Steam mm. so there you go 15 bucks and then you all the things and yeah like every every dlc everything yeah and then you too can say goodbye to uh free time 100 percent. yeah yeah one of the monkeys reached out and said thank you for bringing that up i'm like i'm sorry for your free time (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's gone (laughs) so anyway so that's that's the game thing if we want to round table i I can pass the mic well in in terms of games uh, Steve and oh, I yes. finished off Tomb of Annihilation board game with uh, Major Meh. Ah, so you did the whole campaign. We did we the did. whole campaign. We fought Asrarak and we kicked his ass. Ace Rarick. Yes, Ass Rack is his new name because his ass got racked. 
<laughs> uh, I'm waiting for Major Meh actually to send us the uh, video or uh, errata page that shows us how we totally did it wrong and Anthrax <laughs> should have killed us. <laughs> but we did. We just, we totally just beat the tar out of him at the end there. So we oh had our shit God. going. I even changed characters and became the mage. And, and, and uh, lost some stuff in the process. Yeah. And we still, we still totally just waxed him. So it was fun, though. It was fun. There are people who have put out, like, solo play rules for the D&D board games, oh, which isn't all that hard. Sure. And uh, I'm actually very interested in that. Um, but uh, it was fun because it was fun. It was just like a little D&D tactical thing. No, you don't have to worry about a DM figuring out the adventure and getting things prepped and shit. You just you just go and do and we played and yeah i'm a big fan yeah it was fun it was fun <laughs> so we got to the, we found Acerac, uh ace rarick uh, and um and 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 for one of the idiosyncrasies of this game was i'm playing the paladin and all the and first of all Again, just because I'm guessing this has a, is a holdover from playing Civ Five. Anytime there was a treasure, they're like, "Why is the paladin going after the treasure?" All the <laughs> oh time? my god, Steve, <laughs> you, you, track. you know the you know the RPG joke of oh, there's a trap and I can't disarm it, so the barbarian walks through it. Well, Steve was our version of that, <laughs> and he was, and eventually he got these goggles that allowed him to to see traps and figure them out and he could figure out safe paths and stuff and so you would get that tile which is a whole bunch of traps surrounding a treasure chest which is pull two treasure cards and pick the best one and and our our paladin would just head towards that tile and tear through the and then yeah, if, there, are, there are four armed gar goblins and gorillas tearing yeah. apart the rest of the group and I'm like oh there's gold over here oh, yeah, maybe oh, I don't know treasure and then you pull that shit in Gloomhaven man I, I know where you live <laughs> and uh, it, also if you kill you know a creature you pull one treasure card and it'd be so funny because it'd be like hmm ring of protection and steve would just hold out his hand <laughs> <laughs> so so my paladin ended up just awash with with all these different treasures and stuff so we get to ace Rarick. oh and one we'd been hanging on to because I think one time we actually sold it for gold, so it went back in the deck, and then it actually came up and you know got, ended up back in my my hand. Um, so I ended up with all these things. So we get to Ace Rare Ace Rarick, and I was like, okay, so this is it. This is the last. So we, there's no need to hang on to any of these things for possible gold or anything anymore, right? And they're like, right, okay, great. Uh, potion of disintegration. <laughs> this and this. Bam, bam, bam. So I just had all this stuff. So he just... He didn't... Yeah, he's a paladin. He can attack undead, you know, do all that stuff. But no, he just itemed the hell out of it. <laughs> I didn't even get... Because uh, I had the Wand of Wonder, which mm. is really fun. Because it's a random pull from the spell deck. And you don't know what's going to happen. There, there are times I cast it and, like, I incinerated a whole bunch of... Uh, enemies. There's a time when it was adjacent enemy, and I wasn't adjacent to anything, so the spell fizzled. 
Then there was delayed blast fireball, which nuked all of us. Oh, good times. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, various things happened. Um, but I was all prepared to just like wander, wander the living hell out of them. But by the time I got close enough to do it, I only got one lick in and Steve and uh, Major Meh just took them right out. Yep. If there's a, an apocalypse, folk, and especially if there's an apocalypse where some kind of weird Lovecraftian weirdness takes over the world and things get really strange, head over to Major Mez's house. Oh, oh good, good. <laughs> because yes. that's where your survivability, I don't know what it is and what it would be called in Civ, but your rating for survival <laughs> will, it, it's logarithmic. <laughs> when you when you go to Major Mess House, so yeah, <clears throat> so yeah, we uh, we finished off Tomb of Annihilation. That was fun. I so, love those games. So now that the base game of it's done, uh, is there any replayability to that? Do you think, or the, like online the scenarios? replayability of those games is working with different characters. Ah, yeah. okay. Um, because one of the things is they've been fairly balanced so that you can pull character because each game comes with its own set of characters. You don't have a set of characters that you play throughout. So, like, one thing I want to do is grab, I think it's Castle Ravenloft. Their cleric is probably the best healing cleric. That one literally has a, oh, I hit the skeleton with my sword. Steve, heal a point. Heal a hit point. That kind of power. And and then there's, well, there's Drizzt <laughs> from the Legends of Drizzt game, who's just amazing. And so you can pull different characters, and that's the thing I would like to do. In fact, um, one of the things in Tomb of Annihilation that's really nasty is the Juggernaut. Mm, this oh, is yeah. this is a giant, <laughs> a giant uh, steamroller type thing that just moves tile, tile, tile every round, and it destroys, it crushes everything in its path. It does massive. It does twelve points of damage, six on a miss. Wow! <clears throat> so it's pretty much going to destroy anything it hits, and it destroys everything. It triggers all the traps. It'll destroy monsters as well as you. And That's we a moved. Fun a, idea. We yeah. moved away from it, and we hit the win condition for the scenario. Um, but it's like AC 10, 30 hit points, and we were all like, "I think I can take this motherfucker." Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That was, one of one of my cards was um, had the attack bonus of ten, so if I'd use that. I would have hit it for three points of damage. And in my head, I'm like, I can take this thing out in 10 turns. Oh, wait. No, this is a use once and flip the card thing. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. But, yeah, but we were all like, you know, all of us working. And so one of my proposals was, you know what we need to do is we need to set up this same scenario. But instead of going for the win condition, see if we can't hit point attrition the damn juggernaut yeah. and destroy it. So I think things like that. 
uh, it's useful in. And pulling other characters, you know, some... The bard in Tomb of Annihilation is an extremely good utility support character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Major Meh, in his tactical calculation, was like, the bard is good when there's more members of the party. If it's just three of us, I don't think we should use him. So we didn't use him. And and one of the things about this game is if you do fail, you just try again. Yeah. So, yeah, so trying the thing with, oh, let's try to take out the juggernaut. Mm-hmm. That would be, and if you fail, you just go, okay, that was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think pulling characters from other games, there are homebrew rules people have put out there to create campaign modes where your characters keep leveling up and stuff like that. Um, so there is stuff. Which they don't do in Tomb of Annihilation, but they do do in... Yeah. Dungeons of the Mad Mage. Yeah. So, so those are the things I look at, and uh, I'd be interested in trying. So, I think that there is replayability there, um, but you have to be kind of interested in using a different character. You know, Steve, he's always a paladin. <laughs> he's a paladin in Mad Mage. He's a paladin in this one. Yeah. He's just a paladin. It's like I get traps. It. <laughs> well, I get it in D&D. I don't get it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, uh, yeah, I enjoy it immensely. So, I am looking forward to when we uh, restart some Gloomhavening now yes. that we have our area of attack. Uh, right. <laughs> I agree. Although, you know, I do want to throw something on the table because uh, hearing your enjoyment of this campaign and also incorporating the idea that, hey, uh, you want to try some single-player games, Mm -hmm. and you've expressed an interest in this game in the past, would you guys like to borrow my copy of Descent, uh, Turn Back the Dark, or whatever? Well, (laughs) is it it first or second edition? Because I've got first edition. No, no. This is the latest version of Descent. This is, uh, because Descent, if you're not familiar, is also a dungeon-delving board game, uh, where one player is the... uh, Game Master DM mm-hmm. and everybody else is the players and it's one versus how many ever. Uh, Descent was that for a few editions. The latest edition, Descent Wait, uh, Legends of the Dark, what is a app-driven game where you can play it solo if you so desire and you choose two characters. Uh, however, I think it's up to four players can play and it's uh, everyone versus the game. And it's a just a full-on campaign mode. App-driven GM? Yes. Well, you know, it's funny you mention this, because we were talking about Descent with Major Mech, because he was looking at it. And I talked to him about it, because one of the things you didn't like, and I eventually came to not like about the older Descent, was the Game Master thing. I didn't like the fact that one person has to play the Game Master and, you know, play against the everyone else. Uh, so we were just like, eh, about Descent. But if this is the case, then yeah. They, yeah, they completely re- redesigned the game from ground up. The same philosophy is there of, you know, wow. players versus game. Uh, but everyone gets to play against the game this time. Then a cooperation. Oh cooperation. So uh, uh, text me this week, Kay. Remind me. Yeah. Uh, so next week and I'll bring it so you guys can play it. Cause, Major Matt, you I, listening. Because I don't have time right now to bring it to my table. Mm. So someone might as well enjoy it. Yeah. And then we'll tell you. Sure. And, but I hear wonderful things. And they just released the expansion uh, not that long ago. And the expan- 
this game this game has a massive box i mean it's yes. not gloomhaven size but it's massive right no i've looked at it before but i was like you know what i've got the first edition second edition i don't care because the gm thing kind of bugs me what you just said changes everything so, in fact i'm gonna look at it right now yeah. <laughs> to the internet uh what else should i bring up uh my wife and I watched a, a glorious little uh, movie. Uh, we uh, got a deal on stars. So we decided to take stars for three months because like five bucks and a half stars for three months. So sure. Great. We'll take it. Uh, and on stars, uh, they have the movie by Tim Story. Uh, Tim Story is the guy that brought us the uh, the original Fantastic Four films okay. that were released in the early aughts. Uh, this movie is called The Blackening. And it is a fantastic satire of horror movies from the black perspective. <laughs> it is about a group of friends from college that get together at a cabin to celebrate Juneteenth and are put into a saw slash scream kind of scenario. And it is it's. First, a comedy and then a horror film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it does both <laughs> well. It leans heavily into both. Nice. But the script is so good, especially if you've watched a lot of horror films and are familiar with the black tropes of horror that are kind of <laughs> horrible throughout the years. This really leans into it. And it is a joy from beginning to end. So if you can find the blackening, if you have star stars is where it's at, or you can rent it. Right. Yeah. Um, so you don't have stars. You can get it for a few bucks. And I know Halloween's over it's now ending in going into Thanksgiving slash Christmas season. Uh, uh, or, or as a friend of mine calls it noir Vember. That's his. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Noir Vember. Uh, because my wife and I celebrate them. No, we're still celebrating Halloween. Uh, we're not done yet. <laughs> Uh, won't be done until next Halloween. So, <laughs> uh, but the blackening is such a clever movie, and the the acting in it is exactly where it needs to be. Mm. So, from the beginning to end, we were laughing our asses off. So, find it; it's really good. Yeah, Steve. What else? Um, it it just popped up on uh we you know we're going down the youtube rabbit hole and it popped up and i was like and i was like oh is this the whole it is it's the whole movie huh one of gene roddenberry's failed pilots from the 70s one of many yes one of <laughs> yes one of many specter with robert culp and gig young as paranormal well robert culp's the paranormal uh, investigator. They're both psychologists. Damn it, I was hoping this was like James Bond from the villain's point of view. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I know. it was. They even spell it like they do. Yeah, with the R-E. Because actually they shot the thing in England. Okay. And yeah. it's really funny too because it's Spectre. But his name is Mr. Sebastian. Yeah. It's not, like... Not John Spectre? It's not John Spectre. <laughs> Why yeah. isn't it John Spectre? Yeah, there's no reason in the world for the thing to be called Spectre, <laughs> I'm, I'm, unless unless Roddenberry's just a big James Bond movie fan. I have no idea, but there's no reason in the world for the thing to be called Spectre. Okay, so it's not villain. Although speaking of board games, there is a board 
two board games out there now that are you play the villains in the James Bond world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Just Ooh, just, no, just noting that. Uh, so Steve, what's what's Roddenberry's Spectre about? So um, oh boy. So the the bottom line is. Um, there, there are two psychologists, Robert, Robert Culp and criminal psychologists. Yeah, criminal psychologists, and some of their cases have led Robert Culp to believe that there is some evil force or evil forces working in the world that cause some of these people to go crazy and kill people. And he brings up Manson. He brings up. There's another one he brings up, and it's like, oh boy, okay, and that these people were not. You know that they were somehow tipped over into their into their heinous acts by some outside force. Um, so that's kind of the gist of where he's and and Gig Young Sears was like, yeah, but that's crazy. You're there's not such thing as a supernatural. And so it's a little Scully Mulder uh, thing going there. <clears throat> Cult brings him in because he wakes up one day and he's got a scar thing in his chest that he went to get it x-rayed and there's something in his chest that's penetrated his heart so he can't have any exertions or get excited or anything like that until that gets taken care of this is before arc reactors yeah yes but there's nothing there it, like all the scars and everything show up on the x-ray, but there's no actual physical object there. Voodoo doll is basically ah, the conclusion. Of course. And uh, and then meanwhile, uh, he gets this message from somebody in England that there's something happening with, you know, that they might want to come and, you know, check something out at this manner because this brother... Uh, the brother of this woman is she thinks he's being possessed by evil forces and stuff so she sends a letter she she shows up she's all you know seductive and everything like this and it's starting to set off his you know his his heart condition so he takes her into his library and he's all yes yes i i i'll be right with you but i need to look something up in a book first and he's playing he's playing it very (laughs) you know he's 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 just like he's clearly resisting the urge to uh to give in to her seduction not now doctor Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah 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 so um so he finds this book and he opens it and goes, yes, this page right here, reads this thing and then smooshes the book onto her and she starts having a fit and throwing on and eventually she gets all skankly where it goes. Skankly? Yeah, skankly. And, and then and it, she evaporates. You yeah, know. D- dissolves into mist and he go, and and Gig Young's character, I heard screaming. What did you do to her? What did she goes? He goes, that wasn't a her. That was a succubus. And he goes, that's no such thing. <laughs> Which is a bit that shows up later in the episode. But anyway, so they go to England. They, they, you know, the the woman is there. She's very much, a, you know, uh, as opposed to her succubus version, she's very much, you know, kind of a spinster and, and all this. And her brother's into orgies and, you know, because it's the 70s. Sure, sure, of course. And I will. We, we, all, we all were in the and 70s. And they're a very, very prominent, very rich family connected to high society. They're, they, they, this is, it's sort of like a Bilderberger family thing where all the movers and shakers kind of move through them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, and they bought this old abbey, but they've been refurbishing on, on the inside, so it's all modern. And um, and then, yeah, and just there's these maids running around with, like, little skimpy outfits. And, oh, boy. John Hurt, a very young oh. John Hurt. Oh, is, yeah. Is yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Villiers, who is a character actor. You've seen him in a thousand movies shot in England. Yeah. Um, uh, he's like, well, my sister doesn't approve of my life. I'm not possessed. My sister just doesn't approve of my lifestyle. Well, what do you think, gentlemen? Oh, and he's looking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say. Um, and then, like, he smacks her upside the head, and they're like, oh, well, if you're not if you're not possessed, there's really no excuse for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, come to make a very long story short, to to you go, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, what happened was when they were doing the renovations on the wine cellars, they accidentally unleashed Asmodeus. Oh shit! Yep. The who's... Abbey apparently was holding him in check. It was like a, a a place that that had was sealed and and had him contained. Yeah, and um, and it and then Zany I think says when they figured this out and there's a mass orgy and stuff at the end. Well, that's how you celebrate. Yeah. And uh, and I'm watching because I saw this first run back in 1977. So this this isn't a failed pilot. This actually broadcast. It, it, well, it was. Ooh, it's they, got a story here. They aired the pilot. Okay. The end. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those failed pilots, but we'll air it as a TV movie. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we're watching this, I'm like, man, there just seems to be a lot of padding in this thing. Sure enough. Um, I guess to make money back from it, they added scenes to lengthen the lengthen the runtime and included some nudity in that in that orgy scene at the end. Lots of boobs, oh, lots yeah. of boobs running oh, yeah. around in that last scene, and they released it as a feature in England. <laughs> Lucky them. And but I'm just sitting there going, God, this thing. I mean, I know we're you know the era is different and the timing and the pace and everything but there's just seems to be a lot of padding and just people walking through tunnels forever Let's get to the next thing yeah it's always fun watching a movie there and then f- from the left you hear <sighs> you know they're going down a set of stairs they open a door there's another set of stairs <sighs> Yeah, yeah, and because I remember liking it as a nineteen-year-old. Okay, sure. <laughs> well, I was saying it sounded pretty involved for a TV show. Yeah. It's and it it is it is good on a certain level. One of the things I liked about it is it had a certain Neil Gaiman quality about it. Because it drew from mm-hmm. folklore and magic traditions. So it wasn't like they invented a magic system. They drew from everything in there. Yeah. Uh, like the whole succubus thing. There's a scene at the end when Gig Young uh, is uh, heading off into the study with uh, the now loose and much more relaxed and free feeling sister. Uh, and spoiler alert, she survives. Uh, who's who's <laughs> really attractive now and everything. And Gig Young goes into Culp's study and Culp's like, uh, yeah, uh, it's Mark, it's the, uh, no, Ham. 
Hamilton. It's Ham. It's the book of Tobit. <laughs> yeah, page page eighty three. <laughs> yeah, that's the book you slap against the chick to find out if she's a succubus or not. <laughs> you should always keep one of those in the yeah. library. Just yeah, and he's yeah. like the apocryphal book of Tobit. So it's sort of like they draw on a lot of. Uh, folkloric stuff like it's funny because you want to say they draw on real magic as opposed to the fake stuff in sure, sure. you know but it it grounds it like that and actually makes it very very cool in that regard and i'm i'm willing to bet money that the original tv cut just moves it does a lot quicker i have vague memories of watching it too when i was a kid and yeah and, and yeah, I, I I was at the age that I would have remembered those orgy scenes. <laughs> yeah. So and uh, and you know, Culp always always good. Gig Young, I think I would recast that because Gig Young at his age in this thing is like all of his little. Oh, you, you, even even back then as a little, okay, Grandpa, go after the go after you the know twenty what? year old. You know what? <laughs> Uh, I was sort of like, hmm, I kind of see what people mean about the old guy stuff. Yep. Um, and it was really funny because apparently his character had was uh, lost his position at the university because of a drinking problem and messing around. And, and the early part of the movie, Culp is even like, I can understand you going after the the young nurses, but that old crone, so and so. I mean, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. Gig Young's then something like when oh. you when you're that drunk, who cares what? The, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, Culp's um, <laughs> housemaid ish person, housekeeper, housekeeper Lilith, played by <coughs> Major Barrett. Oh. <laughs> Makes the sense, and yeah. she puts a she puts a uh, spell on Gig Young's character where if he drinks he vomits, kind of thing. So his alcoholism is <laughs> instantly cured. Yep, no withdrawals, <laughs> no DTs, nothing. <clears throat> Did uh, this show deserve better? Did it deserve an actual season? No, <laughs> no, not not with the way it was produced. Yeah, no. This it is a, once again another one of those that's ripe for a better version of it being made. absolutely. Um, you know, with the whole. I mean, let's <clears throat> Mueller, 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 and uh, Scoldy. Uh, you know, <laughs> Scholar X Files. Jesus fuck, <laughs> those two. It's been done out. <clears throat> the whole. I'm going to be the audience character, and yeah. I'm going to deny everything and not understand. No matter how many creatures with horns I see. Yeah, that's kind of played out. But this kind of guy who gets into the occult and investigates it, <clears throat> there's plenty of room, I think, for that. Especially with the level of grounding. That's the thing that I would specify if I was showrunner for this, is that <clears throat> let's keep it grounded, guys. Don't succumb to creating your own you know don't harry potter it don't magicians it or whatever else um let's try to keep it grounded to stuff we know about that that actually has been around in the past that people have written about and act as though play as though that stuff has a real effect and i think that level of grounding would be very very cool yeah Yeah, you would avoid the whole, you know, light lightning bolts and you know blasts of power and stuff like that, and you could really get deep into the culting. One of the things that the characters, uh, William Sebastian, 
went through that he mentioned, one of the things that got him started was that he did a ritual to summon Asmodeus, Asmodeus, mm-hmm. and, and, and gain some power. But the things he said, the things that I was asked to do were so repulsive and repugnant, I rejected the bargain. And that led to, uh, that led to, the, voodoo. That led to the voodoo doll sticky thingy. Uh, because he had rejected the bargain after he had like said, "Hey, what do you got for me?" You know. So I think, uh, I, and I think that right there could be an incredibly compelling character thing. <clears throat> Just the 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 good magician who had a chance at being really bad, and at the last minute was like, "Ew," and you know, uh, went back on it. And uh, he's been paying the price, but he's also the only one who can fight the fight. Yeah. So. Yeah. And oh boy, get rid of all the all the leering. So I will, I will say this: it had one of the it had it had a groovy uh, groovy seventy score, early synth, and uh, and oh boy, with a little bit of harpsichord. Oh. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I think yeah, I think oh, and and um, oh, what do they call them? The the um, the glockenspiel? No. <laughs> Bigger, yes, but bigger. Xylophone? Uh, not a xylophone, but that's close to what I'm getting at. Word not coming to brain. Trumpet. No. Oh, you mean like the wood xylophone thingy? Yeah. Yeah. It's no. Okay, no, everyone, but, picture a nicer xylophone. Yes, go ahead. Have, yes. Um, yeah, but the a lot of that going on with a lot Sin of Thunder. that going on. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so it's def- the guys know Gil Malay. I'll just say that <laughs> the uh, it's definitely one of those. This could be this. This is something that could be remade as something better. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if Roddenberry, if huge, if old huge Roddenberry uh, owns the rights to it or not. But uh, I think there is something that could be done with that. Yeah. Well, you know, let's get a little, little email before we get into some news. Email? Yeah. Mail, mail, we've got mail. That's all you get for free. Uh, we'll send a quick one from Aussie Matt here. Uh, he writes, good day, fuckers and Deb. Uh, not this week. I love the new segment idea. Remember that slow show slash movie slash song slash whatever. <laughs> Remember that show from the 80s with the guy from the high-tech car could use, use to drive around really fast and solve crimes and help people? The one that wasn't Knight Rider? Something about a computer-generated crime fighter? They should remake, remake that for the AI generation. Love and hugs, Aussie Matt. Uh, I think he's thinking Auto Man. Yeah. Is the, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> why not? Auto Man was them trying to take parts of Tron and turn that into a TV show. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay, sure. That's kind of what we do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this this email feels like both uh, satire and a good idea. <laughs> yes. And uh, Pat Spurl asks the question, uh, if you were going to be sent back in time, what is one thing that you would take with you to change the course of history? Interesting framing that, yeah. Pat. Um, so our intent is to change history. And with this item we're bringing with us, so... What, what do you do, guys? What do you what do you bring to change history? Uh, binoculars and give them to the first mate of the Titanic. 
Because the guy that was supposed to have the binocular, that was supposed to, yeah, have the took the binoculars home with him. Ha uh, ha! <laughs> that asshole. Um, wow. Maybe, maybe that's not that's not the one I was. Oh. So oh. that's that's if I took an item back. I okay. Would, I would do that. Oh, but so you have a uh, something else. But. I have something that would ensure that nobody talking right now or listening right now would ever be born. <laughs> that sounds personal. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'll, that nobody currently living. Oh, so not be, just this table. Yeah, would be <laughs> would be born. Other different people would be born. Oh, but nobody nobody under the age of eighty would be born under the age that's a lot of people it's a yeah. lot of people this is some thanos shit right now yeah and, and that is go back and prevent world war one from ever happening wow that that that's it's that's a fascinating uh, okay so what are you taking back in time to do well, no that? that's why you take back an item I don't know what I would take back. Oh, okay. Except maybe a revolver and shoot the guy that shot yeah, Franz well, Joseph. The problem there is that <laughs> they were heading to war. I mean, many in many ways, assassinating uh, Ferdinand just like was the catalyst, but things okay. were so t- tied up, it, they were heading for war So anyway. maybe these are connected. Ah. Because... Are you giving binoculars to Franz Ferdinand? <laughs> no. No. If the Titanic doesn't sink... Allegedly, there were treaty papers in the safe that that said that um, United States, the United States, either would or wouldn't, and I can't remember which at this point, but it would have been the turning point. Would or wouldn't join the Allied forces if if a world war broke out, and I can't remember which would have been the turning point thing. So that the so that the other nations would be going. All right, let's go to wait. The United United States would be coming in there. Uh, let's let's uh, let's keep talking. <laughs> so I, so you're, I'm hearing he's stopping World War One with World War One with a pair of binoculars. I guess so. Possibly, yeah. And I would also go and make sure that guy didn't shoot Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> NPR <laughs> about here we go nine years ago. Yeah, because that would have been the 100th anniversary. Nine years ago, did this whole series uh, in 2014 about what would have happened, what would the world look like without World War One, mm. and it was fascinating. Um, there's a very good chance that the Russian Revolution would not have happened mm. without without all of the poor people getting sent into the front lines as cannon fodder. Without that happening. That might have pushed that back, so it might not have happened at all. Um, of course, a lot of technical innovations would have been slower to happen. We probably wouldn't have gone to the moon in 69. It would have been much later. Uh, the Gershwins would have probably stuck with classical music and not written Broadway musicals. On and on and on. All these little ripple effects if World War One had never happened. And, of course, the one that stuck out to me when they got to the end of it was... Well, and nobody, nobody that I know, including me, including my mom and dad, would have been born. If you think of all the people that died that wouldn't have died, if you think of all the people that moved around the world, mm. 
and you know had foreign brides and you know just weren't in the right place at the right time millions and millions of people not in the right place at the right time to meet the person that they would have, that would have been your grandmother or would have been your grandfather etc 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 and then that we none of us none of us listening to this or talking right now would have been born so what we need to do Kay, is we need to kill steve to stop him from killing us <laughs> yeah really <laughs> kill right. steve well it's why the back to the future movies are you know, our bullshit. If uh, George McFly's behavior changes that much, either either Marty and his brother and sister are much older because they got born much earlier than uh, they're shown in the movie, or they wouldn't have been born at all anyway. The, or there would have been five children because apparently George and What's-Her-Face were knocking it out constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. When you think about which sperm wins the race, yep. that alone will swing change it all. Yep, that's exactly correct. <laughs> if they're having much more sex, different spermies are getting to those ovum. <laughs> <laughs> We're a very, very mature show with our spermies. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, I remember that elf from Santa's workshop. Spermy. Spermy. He was one of those. He ended up on the yeah, Island he, of Forgotten Toys. Yeah, well, there was the one who wanted to be the dentist. Spermy, he wanted to be the gynecologist. <laughs> who wants a spermy in the box? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that website. <laughs> I'm not offering. Okay. Um, well... I would have to jimmy things because I would want to take a little DVD player that I could get at least one run out of. And uh, I would want to bring some recordings and have them translated into Aramaic and get some recordings of Jerry Falwell and Ralph What's-His-Name of the Christian Coalition talking and then go back in time to Jesus and show him that and go... Are you sure you want to do this? Because <laughs> this is it. 2,000 years from now. Yeah. Could you do that with Emperor Constantine and still get the same effect? I think you can. Uh, I think you can. Sure. Yeah. Quite possible. Yeah. Of course. Because that's really, I don't know that's if he it would, really got codified. If, if I, would he know Aramaic? <laughs> <laughs> That suck. I end up in Constantine's time, and I've got the DVD player, and it's like, do do you know anyone who speaks Aramaic? Because I've got something to show you. And he's in Latin. Says, I don't understand this guy. Has anyone made that movie? That movie of someone who really wants to time travel gets it and is not prepared for where he ends up, and just. I think they're. they're I, I yeah. think most of them. Are. I think most of them are kind of like. No, that, no, yeah. but I mean to that extreme level, to to where it's just like, almost like, like they a, wanted to go here and they prepared for that, but ended up. Yeah. No, they wanted to go and they thought they were prepared for it. Oh. But no, they're just uh, idiot nerds who are full of themselves and really don't know what they're getting into and just. Well, it, isn't that almost like Bill and? Well, no, Bill and Ted, they were actually successful. Yeah, they're successful. <laughs> yeah. There's but I'm, I'm talking about that. Let's go back to Jesus' time and fuck if they just can't communicate. Yeah. There is a very, very short story about a time traveler that goes back in time with a computer and its own power pack. Uh, or no, it goes back in time with a computer to Shakespeare's time and goes up to him and says, 
please write more plays. And Shakespeare goes, again? And goes into his house, opens up this closet, (laughs) throws the computer in with all the other computers. (laughs) I like that. That's great. I like the one with the, it's a cartoon with two, uh, two Nazi guards just standing outside a door. And one's like, how are you doing, Franz? And he's like, oh, I just... And he's like, you're not questioning things, are you, again? Well, it's just... And then suddenly, this this rift opens in reality, and a guy steps out and zaps one guy and kills him, and they open fire with their... And they shoot and kill the guy who stepped out of the rift. And he goes, come on! Don't you wonder... What we're doing is right with all these people coming back trying to kill him? <laughs> it makes you think. <laughs> My Mine's just real simple, and I, I just want to throw a Coke bottle at some Neanderthals. That's all. That's oh, all. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to gods must be crazy. At- <laughs> yep. 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 That'd be fun. Yeah, that reminds me of the, the line from uh, Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes when they're first seeing the humans and everything. And he's like, well, if this is the best they've got in six months, we'll be running the place. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, again, Pat, you send some interesting questions, so thank you for that, and thank you, Ozzy, Matt, for yours as well. Let's do some weekend geek. Yeah! Yay! Wow! No, <laughs> I was all prepared for tissues. And... I don't want to hear it this week. That's all it is. I have, I have news you don't give a shit about, but I'm not bringing it to the table because I don't want your ovase. I well, don't want it. You know what? In that case, then no, I got a wink. <laughs> oh my god! Are we going to hear the O face while he's winking? <laughs> I'm cutting his mic. It's pointed right at the restroom right now. I know. This was a bad day to introduce the lavaliers. <laughs> uh, looks like Marvel Studios got a, a second R-rated movie in development with the upcoming Blade Project. Uh, the news comes from the film's director, Jan Damage. He's director of uh, Lovecraft Country episodes, mm. who told Deadline, quote, they gave me the R, which is so important. He went on to tease, we're going to have fun because Mahershala is such a deep actor. I'm excited to show that kind of ruthlessness, a, a roughness he has that allows him to walk the earth in a particular way. I mm. love him for that. Mm. He's got a dignity and integrity, but there's a ferocity in there that usually keeps under the surface. I want to unleash that and put it on the screen, unquote. So Blade will be the second R-rated film to come out of Marvel Studios. First, of course, is Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds' upcoming Deadpool 3. Uh, The script for the movie uh, was initially written by uh, Michael uh, Starbury. He wrote uh, When They See Us. And Nick Nick Pizzolo, who did True Detective, is now working on the new draft of the script. Uh, As previously reported, that Marvel is looking to go with a, quote, darker tone in this film than other MCU projects in the past. Uh, Blade was created by writer Marv Wolfman and artist Gene Colan for the 1973 Tube of Dracula number 10. Uh, If you're not familiar, he's a half-mortal, half-immortal that hunts vampires in order to avenge his mother that was killed by a vampire as she gave birth to him. So Blade, the new Blade, uh, looking to be... uh, Old, here's the new blade, same as the old blade. <clears throat> hey, then I'm fine with that. The old blade was great. No, it's uh, there were there were quite a few cool things that came out of Luke Cage, but Marshal um, Ali was definitely just yes. Oh, my a God. reason to watch. 
he was he's so wonderful and it was just like watching that and just being like oh i can hardly wait to see what else he's gonna do because there are so many cool things to do with this guy and this this will definitely be cool once they I've read so many stories of the various Blade scripts that have <laughs> circulated around, so I can hardly wait till they settle on one that'll actually kind of work. <laughs> It'll be very cool. It'll be very cool indeed. Yeah. Mahersha Ali, he was uh, good in the third season of True Detective? I think it was third season, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right, because True Detective, the odd ones are the good ones. <laughs> Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. And so, I just want to what. So by the time this comes out, uh, the Marvels will have been released. So, mm. so I think this comes out the same day as that. Ooh. So I, I'm I'm very curious about that one. I yeah. I I've enjoyed all the shows slash movies involving those three characters. So yeah. I'm I like this idea a lot. Of course. Uh, a lot of people who haven't seen it say it's the worst Marvel movie of all time. Ah, well. So, oh, of course, if you haven't seen it, then sure, you have a you have a um, uh, a, a good opinion. You definitely got to be. <laughs> yeah. You know what's been weird? One of the worst of the trashy rumor mongering comic sites we got this covered. Yeah. I've noticed they've lately developed a kind of protective posture regarding Brie Larson. It's it's almost like there was an editorial changeover or something. Oh good. <clears throat> Cuz they actually they actually seem to to call out the people who attack her and they've actually like stated things have been unreasonable and they they have talked about people trashing the marbles and it they haven't even seen it and it's come out yet. It was just like that's that's very weird. I I don't know if this is the the right trash compactor of a website. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was. Yeah. Oh no, there's they still just make shit up, but yeah. you know. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> yeah. How can you not like Brie Larson? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Last year, Disney Studios produced the uh, ten part series titled Nautilus, which was inspired by mm. Jules Verne's classic novel, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. After the entire first season of the series was shot, Disney Plus canceled it. Yep. Uh, Nautilus has now found a new home <gasps> at AMC, where Yay. it will air at some point in 2024. The series, quote, tells the origin story of Captain Nemo and his legendary submarine, the Nautilus, an Indian prince robbed of his birthright and family, a prisoner of the East India Company, and a man bent on revenge against the forces that have taken everything from him. Nemo sets sail with the ragtag crew on board of the awe-inspiring vessel battling foes and discovering magical underwater worlds, uh, unquote. Um, Shazad Latif, who did The Pursuit of Love, takes on the lead role of Captain Nemo. Uh, Ben Davis, EVP of original programming for AMC Networks and AMC Studios, said in a statement, Nautilus is a big sweeping drama that is sure to appeal to fans of our Anne Rice Immortal Universe and other buzzy and fan forward series like Orphan Black Echoes. We're looking forward to bring it to AMC Plus and AMC as a special television event next year. Uh, Michael Matthews directed the epic 10-part series, and James Dormer executive produced and wrote the series. So this 
story really gives me a little positive bump in all of the sad uh, breaking apart news of streaming service decisions of late. Yep. Yeah, I. this was one of the casualties, and I was like, oh, God, it's already shot, and they're, they're, they're just going to... I was hoping it would find a new home because, uh, yeah, because just reading the the story that they're concentrating on, well, and I'm just a big 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea fan anyway, but I was hoping it would find another home somewhere. So, yes. Yay. Yeah, if I was king of the world, one of the first things I would do is definitely outlaw the whole shelving of a completed movie or a completed series without ever showing it, you know, for the write-off. It's like, if you make it at some point, you got to show it. Um you're not going to get any money or any benefit from not. What if it's made and it really sucks? You're like, if we show this, show it this anyway. ends our That's company. That's right. Show uh, it anyway. Then you create Torgo's This Sucks Network. <laughs> oh, which <laughs> I think we already It's called Ugly Cow Show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this one would actually, you know, they would have recurring episodes on a consistent basis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Certainly would. <laughs> uh, Shazad Latif also was the... Uh, genetically modified Klingon in the first couple of seasons of Discovery. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Very good. Yep. I like him. Yep. He's a good actor. And and it makes me feel less bad about the stuff that has, you know, been thrown off like Willow and all the other shows on and Warner Brothers have already started mm-hmm. releasing the stuff that they've gotten rid of of their streaming services, selling it to Amazon and mm-hmm. Netflix and so on. So I don't mind if it goes away from a streaming service. I don't mind if it goes away for a while. You know, licenses happen and end at all all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. movies come and go on streaming services, uh, but they always tend to end up somewhere else. So it's kind of nice to know that these shows are doing that too. Yeah. So, so this puts a little little hop in my heart. Yep. Yeah, a good kind of hop. Uh, Minecraft. Oh, perfect. Perfect two guys to talk about this bullshit. <laughs> Minecraft is now the first video game in history to sell over 300 million copies. Uh, the achievement is significant because Minecraft is the first solo video game release, not including expanded editions or other iterations, to have sold this amount. Uh, the only other game that has come close to Minecraft is Rockstar Games Grand Theft Auto V, currently sitting at 185 million copies. Wow. Uh, which has grown in popularity over the decades since its release. Uh, for further comparison, the best-selling Mario game of all time is the original NES Super Mario Brothers, which is sitting, sitting just under 60 million copies sold. Wow. So... Damn. Uh, the best-selling Switch game is Mario Kart Deluxe at 55.4 million. Along with the video game, there's a Minecraft movie coming starring Jason Momoa on the way. The 2025 movie will be directed by Napoleon Dynamite creator Jared Hess and written by Rob um, McAnally. McAnally? Sure. Sure. Of oh. its always sunny in Philadelphia Ma- fame. McAnally? That's the one. McAnally? I don't know either. God uh, dang sure. it. I used to know. Uh, Minecraft continues to receive regular updates with content drops, and uh, apparently a new Star Wars themed update is on the way to Minecraft. That's uh, what an is odd a thing. Minecraft movie going to be? Uh, that really is the question. It, it, the, you knew it was going to happen. It'll be the origin. The, it'll start with this guy just waking up in this very pixelated kind of world, going, 
How do I move around here? Yeah, really. I'm stuck in the same place. Jason Momoa spinning in a dirt. circle, staring at his feet. Yeah, hitting the dirt a lot. Yeah. And that's what's the really interesting idea of that Jason Momoa is cast in Minecraft the movie. Mm. The movie has to have that graphic style. Otherwise, it's not Minecraft. Right. Uh, so is he just <laughs> voicing it? Or is it going to be one of those things like... Here's real world guy that gets sucked into this fantastic fantasy world. <sighs> that could be fun. I like Tron. <laughs> so, yeah, I, who really knows what it's going to be at this point? <laughs> yeah. And of course, until the, uh, the the goddamn companies get together and agree to some demands for the actors, we won't see it anyway for a while. Mm. Well, I uh, I just hope it doesn't get in the way of uh, him playing Lobo. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I care about. <laughs> oh, See which, my last which is, oh gosh, I was at alternate reality. Speaking of that, side note, real quick, so alternate reality, and somebody said, "Oh, well, did you hear that uh, that Jason Momoa is playing Lobo?" And I was like, "That's still just a rumor at this point. That's still just fanboy wishes at this point. Don't no, really. It's not like a real. I go. It is not a real thing yet. I'm hoping it is too. I'm hoping wow. that's a true story." It is not a true thing yet. Stop getting your news when we got this covered. <laughs> Thank that explains the uh, direct message I got from Ralph the other day where he was asking if I was ever going to be coming back to the store to buy comics and would I be interested in picking up Steve's comics for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, movie company A24. Uh, this is... Uh, the one that brought us the Vich and the Lighthouse and yeah. you know, some some fine, deep, mm. teeth-sinking horror, and mm. now they've expanded into other genres as well. Uh, wrapped production on the Paul Rudd and Jenna Ortega film Death of a Unicorn. The film follows a father and daughter, quote, who accidentally hit and kill a unicorn while en route to a weekend retreat where the former billionaire boss seeks to exploit the creature's miraculous curative properties, unquote. Uh, the movie is directed by Alex Sharfman, who also wrote the script. He is making his directorial debut with this film. Uh, I know we're not doing red light, green light, but how do you feel about uh, death of a unicorn? Oh. With Perf those two? Perfect casting. Yeah. With those I want to see Paul Rudd hit a unicorn and react to it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Anything. I mean, I've seen Paul Rudd in some bad movies and would still and would watch them again just to watch Paul Rudd in that bad movie. I mean, God, what was it? Uh, the thing he did with Jennifer Aniston where they end up at a not necessarily a nudist colony, but. It was a very kind of free thinking thing. He just went right back to it. Mentally, yeah. he just sunk right back in that film and left us left us behind. There's this extended there's this extended scene where this is very sophomoric humor. But there's this extended scene where Paul Rudd is trying to talk himself into sleeping with another woman because that's what you do with this thing and he thinks that jennifer aniston has already slept with somebody else so he's he's in the mirror talking to himself talking about how he's going to use his big diok his diok i'm gonna put my diok in you my big diok so that's already funny 
in the credits. Is it though? Well, <laughs> you, it, you'd have to see Paul. No, you know what I mean? Not me doing it. Not me doing it. You have to see Paul can, Rudd doing it. It's like a picture right now. Yeah, yeah I'm, well, I'm sorry, right. Steve. I'm, this is just my big dick by Steve and and later on Steve's O face. And <laughs> yeah. this is just a whole series of images that I'm not sure about. In the, in the end credits, they show an extended cut of all the different takes and all the different ways saying that thing in the mirror and it's so just stupid and it gets to the end of it of course and Paul Rudd goes well there's my career <laughs> you're right Paul Rudd would be better at it yeah yeah I I like I like the idea of clockwork bigs where he just comes out of it loving everything and just can't stop laughing and, and just that fade out steve was was just awesome <laughs> he just rewatched the movie in his yeah. head in that moment yeah well all the the good parts the version. good parts yeah yeah <laughs> oh god but no, yes, uh, Rudd is a a fantastic screen presence, and yes, in general, Ortega, same thing, phenomenal, and in an A twenty four joint, mm-hmm. which tends to have these little esoteric moments. Uh, yes, sure. If you're gonna yeah. do, if I mean, if it's gonna be a you know Brett Ratner joint, I'm not there. <laughs> but right. here, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. William Slater's eerie dystopian 1974 young adult sci-fi novel House of Stairs is getting an an adaptation. Uh, Before I Wake and Dr. Sleep actor Jacob Tremblay will star. Uh, Wee Ding Ho, who uh, did Terrorizers, will direct. Uh, Taking place in the near future, the dystopian genre film, quote, follows five 16-year-old orphans who wake up to find themselves in a strange building with no walls, no ceiling, and no floor. Is that a building then? Uh, Nothing but endless flights of stairs leading in every direction, seemingly infinite. To find an exit, the five teenagers must learn to deal with each other's uh, personalities, the lack of privacy and comfort, their clear helplessness, and a machine that only feeds them under increasingly ominous situations, unquote. Uh, Production on the House of Stairs is slated to begin later this year, but probably not with the strike. Maybe, if they're lucky. So, I'm not familiar with House of Stairs. Mm. 74, young adult. Yeah, don't know. But an intriguing idea, Mm kind of Cube-esque, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't... If Paul Rudd's in it, I'll watch. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Paul Rudd in his diak. In his diak. <laughs> big mouth. Paul big Rudd in the stairs. In the stairs. There's a big stairs. Oh, lots of stairs. I'm going to go up the stairs. <laughs> and then Steve's just like. <laughs> <laughs> that was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this, this episode brought to you by uh, uh, Oh, wait, where's that at? God damn it. Uh-oh. I, yeah, I lost my shit. Uh, hey, dumbass, you're on the radio, not uh, television. Moment sponsored by Mad Martron. <laughs> Remember, kids, we can't see shit, so make a goddamn noise and speak into the mic. <laughs> Mad Martron, you made one of my favorite ads of all time. There you go. And I, I queued it up, not Steve. Yeah, right. 
But I queued it up doing an impression of Steve. That's <laughs> right. So it kind of still. <laughs> All right. Well, now look at this. What, what camera am I on? <laughs> hang on. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hang on. Hang on. I got to find this. Do we have an ad for that yet? <laughs> hang on. Hold on. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's by Mad Marchron. <laughs> In fact, I'll go ahead and roll it up. These useless, unnecessary filler words were sponsored by Mad Martron. So, um, like, maybe consider the possibility that uh, it could be, yeah, you know, all right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're armed. Uh, the creator of The Conjuring, Tony DeRosa Grund, is now developing a new horror film franchise with The Haunted. Uh, DeRosa Grund developed the original Conjuring movie and also crafted the or or overall trajectory for the concept. Uh, the Haunted will also draw inspiration from real-life encounters with spirits and tell the stories of the victims who suffered through these experiences. Uh, the creator said that The Haunted is, quote, exponentially better, truer, and more terrifying than The Conjuring. As far as the story goes, quote, the haunted franchise starts with one family's dark and terrifying real-life preternatural experiences which intersect with historical facts and legends surrounding a young pregnant woman accused by her own father of being a witch. That convergence places the family in impending mortal danger, unquote. DeRosa Grund named the franchise and created the road map for it all and aims to emulate that prior success by similarly building the haunted universe through sequels, historical prequels, and spinoffs. Stop saying these things are based on a true story. Jesus. I mean, if they're as true as the, as the Warrens in the Conjuring movies... <laughs> I, th I think the better term would be someone's claimed experiences. Yeah. All right. That's because the true story. No, no. Or say these are based on people's uh, stories as if they were true. Yes. Or as if they were real. Sure. If that was real. <clears throat> I think that's just like what I was saying about the whole specter thing. You know, if you take that, take that grounding and just make it. Just, just let's just approach it like it actually happens it actually works there's there's you know there's tons to be mined there yeah like you know let's let's pretend that the people that told the amityville horror story were actually telling the truth Oof. you know yeah <laughs> that's a short movie yeah. <laughs> uh now, there is plenty to be minded there. There's plenty of entertaining TV shows about true haunting. I mean, we see this in documentary form all the time on, yeah. quote, Discovery slash Learning Channel slash why is that even on this channel shows? Uh, and, but they are entertaining, right? They're, they're told yes. in a way that's, that, that spooks the viewer and with the right music and the these somewhat competently acted recreations of whatever. Uh, and that's what The Conjuring is, right? The Conjuring is the story of these two charlatans, <laughs> right? And so I want to see that movie, though. Right? Uh, <laughs> but they're claimed stories, and then they take those claimed stories and then embellish them even further to make them actually entertaining. Yeah. And they are. The Conjuring movies are great. Yeah. I, I If you look at them as fiction, they're pretty fantastic yeah directed well fantastic jump scares and but they're i'm sorry the nun in conjuring 2 is 
not the story that the they even told and the story they told isn't true anyway right right uh just like the whole annabelle thing right yeah annabelle is a raggedy ann doll that they claim is don't break the glass uh don't free the raggedy ann doll um (laughs) yeah because it's evil right but they turn that into a movie about a creepy doll three creep uh, movies that are the first one's good the second one's bad third one's best so they are it's it's great stuff to mine oh absolutely yeah i i just yeah i just none of this stuff is true though sorry sorry believers it's not true it just isn't how many people are watching this thinking it's real well right i mean there are yeah right uh my mom got deep into the paranormal stuff in the 70s and you know like i was deep into it when i was in junior high yeah yeah i loved the borley rectory back then i remember amityville horror being a thing uh uh, because it was long island everybody talked about it on long island even before it became the movie or the you know while it was still in the just the book and I can't remember the name of it right now, but I was really into it at the time. I was really excited when we went to San Diego Comic-Con for the first time, and there's that house in the middle of Gaslamp District that is one of the most haunted houses oh, of yeah. all American history. Oh, yeah. Heck, I think they're making a new movie about it now, or they just did or something. <laughs> uh, but I was very excited to see, oh, this is where all these cl- they claim for all this stuff to happen, and I was excited to be around it. Ooh, the spooky feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, that, And that's the thing. As I moved out of, you know, my teens <laughs> into my twenties, and all this, all the cryptozoology, all the UFO stuff, all the, all the ancient astronaut stuff, just I was like, man, just none of this is true, or none of this is real. I mean, the crypto stuff I held on to for a while, but after a couple of decades, it's like, how many people are going to go searching for this and not find anything before <laughs> people go? I guess it's not there. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because, Steve, you and I are of the generation where, especially like the the Bigfoot and Sasquatch, that stuff hit a crescendo and also was when the hoaxes were being concocted. Yeah. And so, it you know, we are now on the tail end where these guys on their deathbeds were like, yeah, no, I, I put on fake shoes and ran around <laughs> in the snow. Yeah. yeah. They, they actually admit the hoax. <clears throat> yeah. But what I'm getting at is, so none of that stuff is true. There are no vampires. There are no werewolves. There's no ancient astronauts. None of this stuff is true. But I really still love good movies about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I before it came out and and it was going to be Indiana Jones and the Ancient Astronauts. Hell, that was when they were talking about doing a fourth movie back in the early '90s. The Darabont script. Yeah, and I was like, well. I, they've covered almost everything. All that's left is Indiana Jones and the Lost World or Indiana Jones and the Ancient Astronauts. Then Spielberg did Jurassic Park, and I was like, I don't think it's going to be Indiana Jones and the, <laughs> and the Lost yeah. World. Yeah, um, yeah. But but and I think Ancient Astronauts, is, it would, would have been ripe. I mean, when you consider all the archaeology connected with the whole Ancient Astronaut lore, Indiana Jones and the Ancient Astronauts would have been, could have been, a really good movie. Mm. Oh well. <laughs> hey, I uh, here's an idea. Yeah. The 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 never the never completed house. The house that the guy kept building. Oh, the Winchester, Winchester house. house. Winchester and the yeah. stairs leading to nowhere. 
What if that house, the the stairs actually did go somewhere? Uh huh. And it was like this interdimensional nexus where all sorts of shit came together. And if it actually the doors opened and the the rooms, you know, the the if you could find a way to find the rooms. You know, you would find something. Was, I, was that ever done? I have some good news and bad news for you. <laughs> oh. uh, there is a Winchester House movie that came out fairly recently. Yeah, with Helen last... Mirren. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that's the good news. That, that tackles some of that. Uh, the bad news is it's made by the same people that made The Haunting of the Queen Mary, which is an absolute shit show of a film. Uh, <laughs> a, a confusing m- mess of dreck. Filmed on the Queen Mary, a lot of it, and it visually, it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Acting and script-wise, it's awful, awful, awful. And Winchester House is kind of the same way. Now, you the saw question, it? The question is, is... Can they make a good movie about it? Yes, I think they can. Have they? No, not yet. Yeah. Okay. Even Helen, I, 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 oh, it's on my radar just because Helen Mirren's involvement. Yeah. But that is kind of what the reviews I've heard said. It's like, oh, why did Helen Mirren need to buy a new car or something? Why? Yeah. why I blame doing? the director in this one. Okay. The, the director is just, there's an idea there. He just can't execute it. Yeah. Hmm. And he's he's got some clout to be able to film in Winchester Mansion and film at the uh, at these actual locations. Yeah. But goddamn, he probably cannot make a good him. movie. Cannot make a good movie. Uh, mm. Okay. Well, so much for that idea. <laughs> and if you can visit the Winchester House, I highly recommend it. Do it. It's great. It's <laughs> a great yeah, yeah. great trip. It's worth it's worth the tour. Nice. Although there's not as much. Uh, stairs to nowhere and doors to the drop off. There's like three things like that in there. Yeah. The, the rest of it's just a bunch of rooms. Yeah. Uh, but it's still cool to be in that environment, hear the story from the guides as you're going through each room of mm. you know, this is the room where she did her seances. And, and it was a fascinating tour. I just wish she was a little more crazy and made more crazy in that house. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. <laughs> Actors Tom Hiddleston and Mark Hamill are set to fil- uh, star in a film adaptation of Stephen King's short story, The Life of Chuck. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sleep and Haunting Hill House Helmer Mike Flanagan is directing. We didn't cover this, did we? Yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah. I think I just forgot to erase it. Scrap that. Next on. DC's Suicide <laughs> Squad is getting an anime adaptation. It'll be produced by Japanese animators WIT Studio, known for its animating of the first three seasons of Attack on Titan, as well as Spy X Family, uh, Ranking of Kings, and more. This one's titled Suicide Squad Asiakai. The anime will take central characters, Harley Quinn, the Joker, and Amanda Waller, on strange adventures in which Task Force X will clash with all manner of fantasy creatures. Uh, The Japanese term... Akasai itself is a reference to that fantasy mashup vibe as it roughly translates to another world. Uh, Isekai genre has become shorthand. I'm getting better at it. Yes, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> How's it spelled? Uh, the way it sounds. <laughs> I-S-E-K-I-A. Isekai genre has become shorthand for the common anime concept of stories that focus on heroes who travel to alternate realities, usually with a fantasy vibe. Yeah. Uh, Suicide Squad Isekai isn't the first time DC's 
create an animated story around the concept. Uh, the 2018 anime film Batman Ninja sends Cat, uh, Batman, oh, Catwoman, yeah. Joker, Harley, and other denizens of Gotham to back in time to a fantasy-fueled version of feudal Japan. Now, no release date for Suicide Squad Isekai has been announced. And, of course, now who knows if it will ever show up. Right. But there it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That actually sounds cool. Uh, yeah, Isekai is, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's basically Narnia. Yes. Is, is Isekai. Uh, although it's really funny, some sticklers for definitions say that you have to die to go to the fantasy world for it to be true Boy. Isekai. But um, it, it's basically, yeah, you know, Joe Schmo. I mean, th- that's the major difference because it's Joe Schmo ends up in fantasy world and has to adapt to it and become a hero. Uh, Suicide Squad is actually kind of cool in that it's going to, you know, Suicide Squad's going to gonna go to these fantasy places. So that, are you okay, Steve? The microphone's getting <laughs> the cord. Look, he's, 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 he's now just like wrapped up in just miles of cord. Steve is being just wonderfully that uncle. <laughs> what is wrong with this cord? Just <laughs> Keep him away from the Christmas tree when you put it up, Kay. Oh, God. I, you know, you know. It, I, I haven't even had any fireball and this is happening yeah just too much cherry cordial <laughs> yeah. um uh yeah i you know i flirted with actually not doing the tree no yeah if i, if really? I can really uh yeah i was just like this year oh god these damn boxes there's so much to deal with i don't know but i'm i'm leaning back into it because i'm like i think i can i can make i have to clear out enough boxes but i think i can make it work i don't think i'm gonna do my be able to do my traditional start on Thanksgiving weekend, sadly. Um, but because uh, I don't know if I'm going to get those goddamn boxes, because uh, <laughs> I don't need to even get them all done. I just need to get enough done that I can move a couch into that room, and then I can make the tr- Christmas tree happen. Yeah. Heavy sigh. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it for Geek Shock this round. I want to thank our Tier 3 members, Dan Seslaza, Daniel Loser, Adrian Kirsch, Major Meth, Michael Hoffman, Azrael175, Mohan Nair, The Microscoop, Steve Biggs. Hey, you, you, that's you. Elena Nupp, Kevin Miller. I can Miller. That, I guess, now that I'm on that. No, no you don't. As you say, Isha Shockey. We need the money! Alexander West, Gomer Geek, and Leon Cox. And, of course, our Tier 4 members, Deb T, David Farrar, J.R. Conkle, our Tier 5 members, Jeff Harris, Ozzy Matt, Mad Martron, Glumley, Atomic Gumby, a special thank you to our theme song creator, Sam Heffernan. The song's The Burning Light. You can find the music at SWH Music on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course, you, dear listener. Mm. We couldn't do it without you. And for you Kofi members, uh, stay tuned because we're going to record some. Uh, I Right? I can't. It's old vernacular. I can't get rid of it, Kay. Stay know. tuned no. as if it's going to stick. <laughs> it's like, yes. no, uh, go find it. That's uh, our brand. I love it. I'm not saying stop it. I just... <laughs> I absolutely, because in the day of the podcast, stay tuned for more blah is like, huh? <laughs> it's just, and it is, it's us. Yeah. It's it's our brand. Um, uh, Xenials, what should we be saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. And a special congratulations to Ellie Smelly Belly. She's, uh, she's feeling better and uh, she's a, a can- cantankerous. And spoiling for a fight, so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Major Mess' daughter. Right. Uh, 
Ellie Smelly Belly. Watch this space, yeah. I guess is what we're saying with that. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Just plain Steve, I don't know what we're doing with you. No, nothing. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Master Torgo. 1K. <laughs> 1K. With Professor Biggs. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week in Geek. If you Kofi members, uh, hop on over. And if it's up already, uh, Aftershock. Yeah, we uh, we watched uh, the first couple episodes of Bass Reeves, Lawman, yeah. which has now appeared. Bass uh, Reeves, Lawman? Yeah, Bass Reeves. Uh, he's the first black deputy, U.S. deputy marshal west of the Mississippi. That's the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it, the, a, real life, a real life historical figure. Yeah. Who the geek connection is, it, he is likely to be the one of the major inspirations for the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, th- there's one character, there's one guy, he and uh, his mentor are going after named One Charlie, an Indian. Oh, yeah. An Amer- Native American. <laughs> I didn't get the joke. Though, yeah. So yeah. One I, Charlie. I'm so, I'm so glad you... And, and he was really funny because he's like, why One Charlie? Because he's like, there ain't any other Charlie like him. And so, I'm 1K. Ah. That's right. Because there ain't no other K like him. That's right. And you got a picture old grizzled Dennis Quaid saying that. Yeah, he's he he makes a nice. Uh, Instead, I get to watch old grizzled K. Professor Big say it. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. While he's tied up in in if in I, wiring. What what is wrong with the? Oh, this is a scene from uh, from Mad 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 World. I'm now Paul Ford. Yeah. It's like, a, what is wrong with this wire? Or you know, C3PO after that first space <laughs> fight on the Empire. I'm melting. <laughs> <laughs> this is your fault.